0: Going to sing. I'm just keeping people on their toes because I've changed the order a little bit. Um, So, um, Lord, I come, comes forward and reads uh, a Bible passage, and then Steph will come and share with us.
1: 1 Timothy 1, starting at verse 12, on page 1191. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointed me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly Now to the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only God, be honour and glory for ever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well, holding on to faith and a good conscience, conscience which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwrecked with regard to the faith. Among them are Haminus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you will help us to understand what it means for us now and how we can each apply it in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. So whether or not you were here last week, last week Steve took us through the first section of this letter. So he talked about how Paul was discipling Timothy or perhaps Timothy was Paul's apprentice like we looked at in Julia's all-age service or Paul was Timothy's mentor. So we looked at that and that Paul started to give Timothy some advice about how to counter false teaching. This week, the second part of that chapter, think about how those words, apply to us so to do that first I think we need to think about the church in Ephesus which is first mentioned in Acts 18 verses 24 to 28 you can look it up or you can trust me (laughs) we'll come on to that Uh, but it says meanwhile a Jew named Apollos a native of Alexandria came to Ephesus he was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great further and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So this church in Ephesus think looks like it wasn't started by Paul, but by Apollos, who seems to have been well discipled because he taught accurately about Jesus, spoke in the synagogue. I think it doesn't need a church leader official to start a church. It just needed somebody willing to have a go sharing their faith. Apollos is willing. God used him. And then in Acts 19, Paul arrives later, tells them about the Holy Spirit, stays a couple of years teaching them before he moves on. But actually, it was a policy started. Now, Ephesus, Dave and Irene, you've been to Ephesus, haven't you? We've been to Ephesus, maybe other people have. It is enormous, isn't it? Even now, it's a ruin, it's enormous. And There'd been loads of response to this teaching about Jesus. So by the time Paul's writing this letter, there's loads of Christian groups. It's not a little house church. It's a mega church. And when Paul left Ephesus after his two years, if you read on into Acts 20, 29 to 31, he warned the leaders. He said, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw disciples after them. So be on your guard. And we need to also remember that, though, you know, in church we've got our Bibles, you can check what's said from the front. Or what's written in the songs we sing against what the Bible teaches. The early church, had got the Old Testament, didn't have the Gospels, they'd only got whatever letters they'd have. Teaching was passed down. They hadn't got the things we'd got to check things against. And over time, I guess the inevitable happened. People started to teach different truths until we get to the point that this letter's written, and Paul's prediction back in Acts 20 comes true, and men had arisen and distorted the truth. And Timothy's job is to correct this teaching and ensure that people remain true to the faith that they've been taught. So this first chapter of this letter, it's a bit of a sandwich. After the greeting... In verse 3 that we looked at last week, Timothy's charged to oppose false teaching. And then in verses 19 and 20, again, he's charged to deal with false teaching. And in between those sections, the filling, Paul gives him some tools to help him address the issues. Last week, Steve talked about the importance of a proper understanding of the law. The only scriptures they've got, remember. And that's part of the sandwich filling. And today's passage is more sandwich filling. The first six verses, verses 12 to 17, as though they're in this letter addressed to Timothy, they could have been in any of Paul's letters or written to us. And it's just like verse 19 and 20 that are really specifically to Paul about the church in Ephesus. So I think it applies to us now. So let's look at what Paul tells us about himself in verses 12 to 14. And look at God's unexpected appointment. Now, I know that lots of people here have been involved in appointing appointment processes in maybe appointing team members at work or at church and it's quite a precise process and if you want to know how precise touch Julia she's very good at it. but you, you draw up a role description and a person specification, you list all the attributes you think the person needs you advertise, you shortlist, You interview the people who meet the criteria and eventually you get references. And finally, you announce a person and they start. So I had a look. I found this job advertised for a pioneer evangelist of the church army somewhere else in the country, somewhere down south, I think. And it was for somebody to develop worshipping communities, build and train a core team, and train and encourage local people to get involved in leadership. And I think that sounds pretty much like what Paul was doing when he traveled around. So the advert says the person needs to have a proven track record of communicating faith and winning people for Christ, as well as experience working within mission and evangelism. I'm sure we think they sound quite wise things for somebody doing that role. Think back, Acts 9, Paul meets Jesus on the Damascus Road. Just imagine if Jesus and Paul had had a conversation about the opportunity for another disciple to to join the team, specifically to spread the good news and plant churches throughout the Gentile world. So just imagine that Jesus So, Paul, what past experiences do you have to demonstrate your ability to preach the gospel and draw people into the church? Paul, well, I've been a violent man, one of the key people responsible for persecuting your church. I was there when they stoned Stephen, and I've killed and jailed loads of Christians. Jesus. Okay, and uh, how well are you able to explain the gospel, the good news? Well, actually, I don't really know what you mean, but I don't believe Jesus was the son of God or raised from the dead. Jesus. Thanks for answering all the questions, Paul. And I'm pleased to tell you, you've got the job as an apostle. Is it any wonder Paul himself, never mind the other apostles, find this quite an unexpected appointment Now, we know it didn't quite happen like that, read Acts 9. And we know that Paul spent a considerable amount of time with the believers in Jerusalem before he actually set off doing anything. But to Paul, it was an unexpected appointment. And maybe that image of that interview helps us see why Paul felt as he did, how thankful he was that he was shown mercy and called to serve Christ. Because his past employment didn't really equip him to get the role. It's a bit closer to a bank robber applying for a job of company accountant. His only qualification is God's grace in calling him and changing him. And is it the same for us? Did God look at us, spot how amazingly gifted we were, what great disciples we'd make, And then do everything he could to win us and build his dream team? We know that's not how it is. God didn't check first we've got the right skills and abilities. Whatever's in our past. He calls us to be his disciples, follow him, be his witnesses. We're just doing our best. Called and accepted by God. Working it out one step at a time, leaning on God's promise that he'll be with us and equip us with his Holy Spirit. So that unexpected appointment is made possible through God's transforming power. So verses 15 to 17. Verse 15 contains a well-known verse that we sometimes use before confession. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. We love stories of transformation. So like Cinderella wowing the prince by turning into the beautiful girl he can't take his eyes off. Eliza Doolittle Cockney flower girl passes herself off as a duchess in My Fair Lady. Oh, like more normal. The ugly duckling turns into a beautiful swan. And here, Paul's describing the transformation that's taken place in his life and showing that God's grace turns things upside down and that Paul, an unlikely candidate, becomes an apostle. At the end of verse 15, he describes himself as the worst of sinners. (laughs) And he explains that because Christ came into the world to save sinners, Christ came to save him. And I think it's probably like when Jesus said it's the sick that need a doctor, not those who are well. And Paul means that because he's so far away from the truth of the gospel his need to be saved was so great and therefore Jesus saved him but what about us? we don't have that same history as Paul we weren't there when Stephen was stoned we haven't been responsible I don't think so Killing or imprisoning loads of Christians, it's easy for us to see how great a sinner Paul was before he came to faith. But deep down, we know we've all sinned in different ways. And when we understand our sin in comparison to Jesus' perfection, and we realize we don't just have a few flaws that need improving. But need a complete makeover that's when we can finally we should finally stop relying on ourselves and start to trust wholly in God and then Paul looking at Paul gives us hope because if God can use somebody like Paul and turn him into somebody who serves faithfully and effectively is there any reason why God can't do the same with us and turn us into people that he can use, plant a church, start a new congregation, whatever it is. And then in this section, there's a phrase in verse 16 that I'd never noticed before, and it really spoke to me. When Paul says that he was shown mercy so that Christ Jesus might, display his immense patience. (coughs) Now, anyone who's been in a situation calling for patience, parent, teacher, things at work, bosses, or people who work for you, you know just how much patience we sometimes need to show others. And here, Paul's saying that However much patience Jesus needs to show when dealing with me or with you, it's probably not as much as he's already shown to Paul. And God has enough patience to go around. So, having given. Timothy, this filling in the sandwich, reminding him of God's grace and God's patience and what God's done. In 18 to 20, Paul then renews the instruction to Timothy that he gave him in verse 3. In verse 18, Paul reminds Timothy that he was called by God a long time ago. Last week, Steve talked about this, about prophecies and the faith of Timothy's mother and grandmother. And then Paul follows this by encouraging him to fight the battle well. So uh, no suggestion here of an easy life for this church leader anyway, or any. And instead, he, he encourages him to keep going because he knows that God's called him. And then we're back to where this chapter began with the false teachers. And verse 19 and 20, reference to those who have rejected their faith and suffered shipwreck. In verse 19 and 20... Paul talks about former members of the faith community, including Himenaeus and Alexander, who have suffered shipwreck with regard to faith and who is handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. This sounds harsh. And to understand Paul's point, we need to go back to verse 13 where Paul says that God appointed him despite him being a blasphemer and persecutor. Because in verse 13, Paul says that he was shown mercy because he acted in ignorance and unbelief. So how can Paul say in verse 13, he's been shown mercy? And then in verse 20, say Hymenaeus and Alexander shouldn't be shown mercy, but should be handed over to Satan. That does feel harsh. But it seems, it looks like the distinction Paul's making is really about whether whether or not they should have known better. So Hymenaeus and Alexander and their friends, and there's more about this in 2 Timothy somewhere, I not remember what verse, but it's, it's in 2 Timothy. Oh, yeah, 2 Thim- Timothy 2, 16 to 19. Hymenaeus and Alexander and their friends, they were part of the church. They were taught by the church. And I'm guessing they were known to Paul because he mentions them by name. And now they're some of the false teachers that Paul's already warned Timothy about. And in 2 Timothy two sixteen to 19, Hymenaeus is described as somebody who's destroying people's faith by teaching that the resurrection, meaning Jesus returning and the dead being raised on the last day, has already taken place. And that's what's destroying their faith. Now, we're at that time of year when bugs and viruses spread really easily. And there are times when we should stay at home so we don't spread bugs to others, especially those who have weaker immune systems or, and some who, for catching things like flu, can be really serious and potentially dangerous. So I think what Paul's saying is that he was acting in ignorance when he was persecuting the Christians. But these false teachers weren't. They've received teaching as part of the church and probably been tried to be corrected, does it say. But now they're harming the faith of others. And I know that when I was a child and my grandma used to store apples, we used to be really careful at getting rid of the bad ones and making sure that the stored apples didn't touch one another, because if one was bad, it would spread, and then the whole box would be no use for anything. And that's the picture of the difference between poor. And Hymenaeus and Alexander. Alexander doesn't appear again, but Hymenaeus does. So Timothy is commanded to hold on to the faith, and he needs to protect those within the church, which he can only do if he removes those who are leading others astray, gets rid of the bad apples, doesn't pass the flu, doesn't let them pass flu on to the people who've got weaker immune systems, weaker faith. New Christians, people who maybe can't go and check things up for themselves. So, Paul doesn't suggest that they'll be shown the grace he received, but he says he has handed them over to Satan, which is understood to mean that he's removed them from the church. So, the rest of the Christians don't have their faith weakened. It is hard for us to hear. But we can only suppose that he tried to correct the wrong ideas. And they're now at the point when, if no action's taken, the church will suffer. And the remedy is probably that we have is good teaching and check it in your Bible. We don't want our faith to suffer shipwreck. Abandoned because it's no use to anyone. We need to be sure of what we read and hear so that we know our faith is true and that we can be lifeboats to others, helping them find faith, pointing them back in the right direction towards the lighthouse, towards Jesus, who, as Paul said, came into the world to save sinners now to the king eternal, immortal invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever Amen
0: Thank you, Steph, for um, explaining that passage so clearly. And um, I don't know about you, but I can think of, of friends who I've known for years, and then somehow they, their faith gets sh- shipwrecked. They lose their faith, or they go off and get involved in other things. And it's uh, really important that we consider these issues. And we are we're a church that has that kind of a culture where we can uh, check out what people are teaching. We can ask questions. We can challenge each other. That's really, really important. So thank you, Steph, for all you've shared this evening. We're going to close by singing about that great.